supposed to do. These were normal, faithful Jewish expectations. And the, and the, 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 the man says, Rabbi, I already do that. I'm already a faithful, practicing Jew. I was raised with this. But this next verse is clutch. <laughs> 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Which means that whatever Jesus says next is loving. It's kind. It's for this guy's good. Whatever Jesus says next, he says because he loves this guy. I wonder if you've ever thought about that. That before you ever hear anything from God, do you know that he looks at you and he loves you? And only from there does God speak. God will never speak to you without looking at you and loving you first. So you can be sure that whatever he says to you, ever, whenever you hear him speak to you, it's because he sees you and he knows you and he loves you. I don't know how many people start there when they're wondering if God's going to speak to them. Think, what's he going to say? Whatever he says, it'll be because he loves you. Jesus loves this guy, and he wants to hang out with him too. Look, one thing you lack, he said, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Jesus says, one thing's in the way of this life that you long for. For you, it's your stuff. Because I want you to follow me. If you want true life, that's where it is, next to me. But your possessions and your wealth, those are going to get in the way. And the guy freezes. This earnest, spiritually hungry, respectful man, he actually decides, no. On one hand, he has following Jesus, following this person who might actually have the answers that I've come asking for. On the other hand, keep my stuff. He decides, I'm going to keep my stuff. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Why is that? Why was money a problem? Turn to the person next to you again and answer that question. Why do you think money was, it was and is such stiff competition for following Jesus. Talk to each other about that. Okay. Let's talk about it. Why does money offer such stiff competition to following Jesus? We'll start on this side of the room. Why do you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, yes. Just enough of what we're looking for, but it's a shadow. Oh, snap. Another one? Uh, yeah. Is that Aish right there? Yeah, what's up, Aish? I can't see for the lights, but yeah. Um, you guys seem like you're getting along. Uh, Absolutely. 
We start depending on it, don't we? That's good. Yeah, this side of the room? Yeah. Money is more tangible than spiritual wealth. Oh, yeah, that's true. You got bills, stacks. Yeah. But I'm a nice person. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, throughout the Bible, God talks about false gods. Idols, they're called in a lot of places. Um, they're good things, usually, that in our, li- in our lives, but they pretend to do or we think they'll do what only God can do. And since they actually can't do those things that only God can do, they're liars. They're, they're, they're false gods, phony gods. And money acts like a God. That's what you guys were just talking about. Money acts like a God. Think about what it offers. It offers to provide for you, to help you never worry about food or shelter, your basic needs. It offers plenty of fun that you can afford if you have enough of it. It offers you social status. Makes you feel powerful. Makes us feel important. It offers security and circumstances outside of our control, right? Talked about that last week. If I have enough money, I never have to worry about not having what I need. And again, those desires aren't like in and of themselves. They're not in and of themselves bad. We should be responsible with money. We should save. It's okay to want food and shelter. That's okay. You don't have to like, no, no food, no shelter. I mean, you know, in and of itself. Even fun. It'll be great. Fun's fun. But money can never guarantee those things, even though it seems like it could. Money offers to provide for you until your financial aid doesn't come through like you thought it would. Right? I feel peace. I feel security. I have plenty of money to pay for school. All of a sudden, money disappears. And you go, I don't feel peace or security anymore. (laughs) Right? It offers you status and self-worth. But have you ever read biographies of the filthy rich? Most of them are as lonely and isolated as anybody else. Money is a pump fake. It's a false god. It's a false advertisement. It will not deliver on what it offers, not permanently. It might act like it can for a while, but it can't because it's not God. That's why money competes with Jesus in this story. Jesus knows for this guy, for this particular character who shows up, that stuff has to get out of the way. He says to this rich man, money will not give you eternal life. Only I can do that. So leave that and come follow me. But money is not the only competition we ever face when it comes to following Jesus, is it? Nope. What are some other false gods? What are some other uh, things that falsely advertise security and well-being and self-worth and healing and comfort, those kinds of things, but that they can't reliably deliver? Let's talk to each other again. What do you think? What are some other pump fakes in our culture that offer those things? Okay, let's do this. Just shout out some things. We don't have to go section by section, but shout out some things. What do you think are some, some false gods, some pump fake need meters in our culture right now? Yeah. Education. Education. How so? Education. 
Yeah. Get an education. It'll save you. It'll protect you for life. Provide for you for life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Health insurance. Hmm. I'll say this. Health insurance can't save you. Ultimately, right? You should try to have health insurance. Okay? This is a, this is a tricky situation right now. Huh. But seriously, though, seriously, I do think there is something to be said for if I just have all my things covered, if I just have all my, all my you know, all my, uh, I'm personally organized, I have all the insurance that I'm supposed to have, things can still happen. It cannot protect you from everything, right? Yeah? One more. So I'm get in trouble. Brandon. Oh, snap. This is next in my notes. Romance. Why, Brandon? Why do you say that? <laughs> you just, you didn't see my notes before this. Here we go. Some people feel like if I just had a girlfriend or if I just had a boyfriend, then I'd be satisfied, right? Now, I need to just say, as a happily married man who continues to enjoy dating my wife, bless you, (laughs) dating and marriage do not satisfy me, ultimately. I love being married to Jessica. She's great. But if I ever ask Jessica to be God, she's not very good at it. She told me, she was thinking about coming tonight. She said, if I'm there, I will shout amen. All right, (laughs) then I can say it. I cannot depend on her to do things for me that only God can do. I cannot expect her to be perfect. It's rather unfair. To meet all my needs. I can't. I can't demand that she make me feel, demand is a strong word too, but make me feel valuable and beautiful and worth loving all the time. Do you know that actually only God can say that to you whether you're single or dating or married or otherwise? Seriously, those things will not come as much as they need to or can from another person as they should from the Lord. He speaks that over us. When you ask a mere mortal to be God, they will let you down because they can't possibly be God. This is true for friendships, too. Friendship is amazing. But when you ask a friend to be God, it becomes toxic. Right? Sometimes we worship our friends. Maybe we expect them to anticipate our needs, to know what we're thinking all the time, or to be permanently available to hang out. That's stuff only God can do. Some of you are like, I'm not going to look next to me. That's all right. We'll work it out in our family. It's fine. And what happens if doing what your friends want to do goes against what Jesus wants you to do? Mm. Another false god. Sex. <laughs> yeah. I think our culture would say, come on, everyone's having it, and if you're not, what's wrong with you, right? 
But having sex does not satisfy us either, does it? You don't have to answer. But lots of you know what I'm talking about. Whether it's sex with another person, or pornography, or sexting, or whatever. None of that fixes us ultimately. None of that satisfies us ultimately. In fact, often, it stirs up desire for more. It creates addictions. It creates compulsions. It creates things that it was never meant to meet because it couldn't possibly. Or maybe you don't have a hard time with those kinds of false gods, but maybe you're addicted to doing well in school. That's what Morgan talked about. Maybe you're hoping school success will take care of you like God can. It can't. Only God can. Or maybe, maybe you're addicted to the approval of your family. You're not going to do anything that makes them mad or disappointed in you. But what if obeying Jesus does? There's a lot of stories in the New Testament where people try to follow Jesus, and it's going to disappoint their family, and Jesus says, you got to choose. Now, again, that doesn't mean family are bad. I'm not saying, like, your parents are the enemy. I'm not saying that. Please, as a parent, we are not the enemy. We are trying to help you. But here's the deal. Part of you becoming an adult and following Jesus on your own steam is saying, Mom and Dad, Jesus wants me to do this, and my allegiance is to him primarily, and I want to honor you by including you in this conversation, but I'm going to do what he tells me to obey. Some of you need to have those kinds of conversations. I don't know. These are just some of the gods that we're dealing with, some of the, some of the things that we think will satisfy us if we just have enough of them in our life. They're all over the place. And again, it's not because they're bad things in and of themselves. It's because we've put them at the top of our lives. We've asked them to do what only God can do ultimately. These are the competition. These are the pump fakes that will try to pull all your effort into getting them instead of Jesus. So, why is Jesus worth it? What makes Jesus worth giving up all that stuff for? If he tells us to. If he tells us it's the way to following him. What makes him worth it actually comes from that opening sentence that Mark gave us in this story. As Jesus started on his way. His way where? Where is he going? Ten verses after this rich man walks away sad, Mark tells us, Verse 32, they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. He took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man, that's one of Jesus' favorite ways of referring to himself. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Those were the Romans who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Jesus has grown up under Roman oppression. He knows how Romans do that. He's not theorizing here. He's seen it happen his whole life. And when he says, and kill him, he also knows there's only one way that Romans take out insurrectionists. Crucifixion. And Jesus says, three days later, he will rise. The Son of Man will rise. Three days later, I will rise. Post-Roman successful execution. 
There's a reason that Mark bookends this story about this rich man with Jesus going on his way to Jerusalem to be tortured to death. On his way, he meets a rich man, and Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he explains his death. It's like a bookend to this story. This rich man's story fits right in the middle of those two ideas that Mark is cluing for us. And it's because it makes that line in the middle, that clutch verse, explain why Jesus is worth following. Why Jesus is worth giving up everything for. Because Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus is worth following because he loves you. And his love is not vague or intangible. His love is not cheap talk or just good intentions. Jesus looks at the man and loves him on his way to Jerusalem to die for him. Think about that. Jesus loves you and me so much that he would rather be tortured to death than see any of us suffer the permanent consequences of following those other gods. That's why he's worth following. What other leader does that? His love for us has his own blood in it. Jesus had bled, has bled and died and was raised from the dead three days later for you and for me. He loves you so much that he would go through all that just so you and I could be free from following the pump fake gods so you and I could hang out with him. There's no one like him. No one else who tells me what to do has ever died for me so I could live my best life. So yes, the competition is real because the competition capitalizes on good desires in us for provision, for healing, for love, for self-worth, but they trick us into thinking they can actually ultimately satisfy us with those things. But Jesus is the only one who asks you to put them in their place because he loves you. It's not motivated by other stuff. He loves you. That's why he wants you to get those things out of the priority zone. And he's the only one who loves you so much and so tangibly and so extremely that he would take on himself the permanent consequences of following those other gods. There is no one else who would rather be tortured to death than see you come to any permanent harm. So don't you think when that kind of a king, when that kind of a leader, when that kind of a boss, when that kind of an influencer looks at you and says, I want you to do something, and I want you to do this because I love you, don't you think he means it? Don't you think he knows best? Even if it's something you've gotten used to counting on, used to worshiping, don't you think if he says, sweetheart, I don't want you to be there anymore. I don't want you to do this anymore. My son, leave that behind. Put me on top and follow me because I would rather die than see you come to harm. So I think we need to think tonight. I'd like to invite the worship team up just to play again. We're going to just do some reflection again. You can just play soft while we think about this stuff. 
I think what I want us to ask tonight is what things are competing with you following Jesus? What's your competition? We talked about a lot of options tonight. And in this story, it was wealth. It was money. Ask Jesus to speak to you. He is not a silent God. He is eager to teach you how to follow him. He's eager to let you know what might be in the way. Ask him, ask him what might be in the way of your obedience or what tends to get in the way that he wants you to watch out for. And if you know what that is, I encourage you to name that to Jesus. In your prayers, say, Jesus, I think this is getting in the way of me following you. Would you help me move it out of the priority zone and put you in the priority zone? And what does that mean? What do you want me to do, Jesus? Ask him to help you put it in its proper place. And then if you feel comfortable or trust the person next to you, it would be a great idea for you to share with them. Hey, I, I think there's something in my life that I need to share, and I, I need Jesus' help to get this out of the center of my life. Would you pray for me? That's what we do in this community. That's what we do in this family. That would be really helpful. So it's not just all in your own head. But we're just going to take some time. You guys can start playing if you want to. We're just going to take some time now where you can pray about it and see what Jesus says. What would it mean tonight for you not to walk away sad? but to give up what you've made a false God so you can follow the real one, Jesus. Just take a minute and think about that.